Welcome to Kicking It Local, the podcast all about the football community in South Australia. I'm your host, Johnny Kecko. And before we head into today's episode, I'd like to give you a quick warning that it does contain content that may be triggering to some listeners. Please remember, help is available. Speak with someone today or contact a suicide support service in your region. For a more detailed description and exact timing of this content, please refer to this episode's show notes. And today's episode, I'm excited to be joined by a WNPL senior footballer at Salisbury Inter, Nicole Calder. Thank you for joining me, Nicole. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, looking forward to chatting to you. You've had a, um, a great career. You've won a treble at Salisbury Inter. You've been over to the US and you've played for the Young Matildas. There's a lot to talk about, especially in your personal life as well. You're a public speaker. Oh, I try to be. <laughs> but um, I'm looking forward to chatting about your career as well. Where did it all start for you? Because you did play Young Matildas. How did it all start to, to get to that point? Uh, so I think I was probably eight years old and I was watching my brothers. I have twin brothers. Uh, I was watching them play soccer and I thought, I really want to play soccer. Uh, so then I started at Bacala when I was eight years old in a boys team, uh, played there for, I think three seasons, uh, before moving to Cumberland, uh, in the U15s did that for, uh, up until I left for America in 2011. Uh, and whilst I was at Cumberland, I was involved in SASE as a scholarship holder, uh, back when SASE existed. And during that time also got to be involved in junior Matildas, young Matildas mm. going away with the likes of. Sam Kerr, Emily Van Egmond, Jeez. not to name drop, but uh, going oh, to name drop. Oh, you can name drop. drop there. You have to name drop there. I want to talk about that, but first of all, I want to talk about the part where you play with the, the boys. Mm-hmm. The, now we don't have as much of that. Um, there's a lot more uh, female teams out there, girl teams for uh, many clubs, and there's also female clubs, uh, female-only clubs in South Australia. But how would you say there's some positives and negatives um, in regards to that for starting your career? Definitely. I think... Starting out playing in boys, you can't be timid. So Mm. you have to go out there and you sort of have to be a boy in that sense. And you have to be pretty aggressive and rough. Uh, And it teaches you things that you might not get taught in the women's game. Um, And I think that's similar in the sense that when you're always playing in your age group too, sometimes you don't necessarily get to learn the tactical skills that you might if you were playing with players older than you. Uh, So I think one of the perks of being involved in the SASE program you know, I remember I was a 14-year-old kid and there was the likes of Vic Balaminos, who was 20 years old, I think, at the time. And she was so scary and intimidating and you made a mistake and she let you know about it. But, you know, you were out there and you felt like you had to prove yourself uh, mm. to be involved in this program and to show your worth, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Um, and I think you're then also forced to learn the tactical game a lot quicker than sometimes when you're playing in your age group around people of similar ability. Would you say it will hurt the game not having that um, players come through that way or is it going to be benefit in the, in the long run? Uh, hard to say. I obviously have a bias uh, towards the SASE program because that's how I was brought up. Um, and, you know, you only had, I think well, it was maybe eight people that were on full scholarships Mm. at the time because that's how much funding we had sort of thing. Um, Whereas now, obviously, with NTC, you've got so many more players coming through, which I think is fantastic because then you've got a larger pool to choose from when it comes to WNPL, when it comes to junior young Matildas uh, and ultimately the Matildas too. So I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. Uh, But I do think sometimes playing with older players can help you develop your game quicker in the tactical sense, but sometimes your technical game might suffer because of Mm. that. 
Now the uh, the young Matildas, um, what was that experience like playing with someone like Sam Kerr? Was she just as um, uh, great to watch and play with back then? Definitely. I think there were probably four or five players at that age group where you knew they were a level above everyone else. Mm. Um, and those are the players that are still playing for the Matildas now. Uh, having said that, the time, the junior Matildas and young Matildas was actually quite a daunting experience. You know, you'd leave on a Thursday, you're training Thursday night, training Friday morning, game Friday night, uh, training Saturday morning, game Saturday night. Like it was very intense. Then you fly back Sunday. Uh, and also it was just a really intimidating sort of experience where you don't have anyone else sometimes from your state. You're the only person going over there as, you know, a 14, 15 year old, you're going through puberty, you've got awkward body things going on. Uh, and sometimes uh, when you're in a very competitive environment, uh, it's not, uh, might not be, or it's not always the best environment. What did you try to do to cope with uh, that situation? Tried to befriend some people, yeah. uh, probably um, people that were maybe not uh, quite as good or were from different states as well. Uh, so, you know, from the likes of uh, if you had players from Perth um, or if you had players from, I know there were a lot of Melbourne players that uh, were really open to sort of those friendships and whatever else. Uh, and to be honest, I spent most of my time in my room studying. So that's how I avoided that. <laughs> well, did you ever, once you got that opportunity to play with them, did you ever see that there was a, well, did you ever try and chase that dream to, to play professionally? Uh, in 2009, I think it was, I was pretty close to going away with the World Cup qualifiers, but then I got glandular fever, I think six weeks before we were supposed to head away. Uh, so I missed that opportunity. And then the following year in 2010, I think it was, uh, there wasn't any funding for Australian camps. Uh, and so that was the year, I was in year 12 at the time, and I decided that I would go to America instead um, and try and play in the college system over there. It was something that my parents encouraged that I do purely because they thought that it would be an experience that I wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity to get your education paid for. Um, and, you know, I was motivated by not wanting to regret not doing things. And so I thought, you know, well, what's the worst that can happen? I can go to America for a year. If I hate it, I can come home. Yep. Uh, but if I don't go, you know, in five years' time, I might be like, oh, man, I really should have gone to America. How did you find the experience moving there? You were only like 18 at the time? Yeah, so I just turned 18. Uh, so I just became of age in Australia and then moved to America where the drinking age was 21. Um, <laughs> not that I ever really drank that much, so it's not a big deal. Um, but moving over to another country is just... Uh, a completely uh, different experience, you know. Mm. Um, you're, you go from living with your parents, your parents doing absolutely everything for you, to then living in a country where you have to cook for yourself, you have to clean for yourself, you have to learn how to put the washing on yourself. Uh, all of these things that, you know, we take for granted because our parents probably do that for us. Yep. Um, but it was so liberating too because... I could be completely who I wanted to be while I was over there. Uh, and, you know, I could go out in the middle of the night and I didn't have to tell anyone where I was going or who I was seeing or when I'd be home. And so there was the freedom that came with that, um, which I think really helped in me figuring out more of who I was and what I believed in and whatnot. Um, and the college experience in itself is uh, is just so professional. You know, they I think it's the Title IX um ruling that they have to spend the same amount on women's sports as they do men's sports. And so, you know, any div uh, Division One sporting team gets sort of the same facilities as the men, yeah. which is just, it's insane. Uh, you know, we had uh, the biggest women's soccer stadium 
in the world was where we actually got to train and play in, which is insane. Uh, we had our own locker, we had our own training room, ice baths, everything that you could possibly want was there. It was pretty good. How did you find having that professional setup there affect your game? Was it in a good way? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think when you're exposed to you know um, those sorts of facilities, that can only better your performance. Mm. And you know the the college schedule is pretty intense. You end up doing uh, two weeks of preseason, which doesn't seem like a lot, but you're doing two to three sessions a day. Uh, and then after that, you're straight into your season of, I think it's two and a half months where you're playing 20 games. And yeah. so you're playing two games every single week. Uh, you're training almost every day. Mondays were your only day off. And quite often you're doing two sessions a day. And, you know, when I think about the fact that I did that back when I was 18, 19, um, 2021, I was like, how did my body get through that? You know, I think about we play a WNPL game here and I need at least like five days recovery. Um, but when you have access to those facilities and you've got trainers, strength and conditioning coaches and everything that are mindful of your loading and whatnot, uh, and, you know, you can get a rub down from um, the trainers at any time that you want, basically. Uh, it can only uh, extend your sort of playing career. Now, with the scholarship over there came with a um, – you got a college degree as well. What um – what made you go for psychology? Uh, I don't know. I was just, I've always been fascinated with human behavior. Um, as a kid, I always enjoyed talking to older people and talking about problems, uh, not necessarily because I wanted to help them, but because I wanted to listen to their story. Uh, and when I studied psychology, it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to become a psychologist. It's never, I've never actually wanted to become a psychologist. I just wanted to understand people better yep. uh, because I think that until we understand people, then we can't really connect and relate to them. And you're also a minor in coaching as well? Yes. Um, and so that, uh, I had thought about get, going into sports psychology once I graduated with a bachelor in science in psychology. And so I thought a minor in coaching would help with that but also just thought a minor in coaching would help with eventually coaching later in life in soccer. What was college like, uh, life like over there? Was it fun uh, <laughs> or did you find it a bit different? I think, again, if I was someone that actually liked to party and drink, I would have probably enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. Uh, I think my brother always wanted to go over there because he enjoyed the party scene more than I did. Um, one of my brothers, actually probably both of my brothers, to be honest. Um <laughs> And I was that person that, you know, on a Saturday night, instead of going out to college parties, I was in my room doing homework. Yeah. Uh, and especially because being a student athlete, you would quite often, you would leave on a Thursday, you wouldn't get back into a Sunday night. So there was the expectation that when you're on the bus going into state that you're doing your homework while you're there, um, you know, you get into whatever state you're in and you've got training Thursday night, training Friday morning, game Friday night, uh, recovery Saturday morning. Uh, and it's just... It is full on, uh, but you have obviously the resources to help you get through that. Um, and so it's it's a very good opportunity, I think, to, you know, to grow up as a person uh, would probably be my overall synopsis of college. Now, during this period, it was looking to be some ups over there playing over in the US in the college system, professional uh, um, set up over there. But the it did go through a very tough time um, during that period. Uh, you suffered your second ACL. Mm-hmm. What's a, what was that moment like when you, being over there by yourself, um, your family's back home, you go through something um, that's serious like that, that mm-hmm. your game, that everything you know, then the reason you're over there, you can't do anymore. Yep. What was that moment like for you to, to realize uh, that? 
Well, so the, for the first one, I did six weeks after I got to America. Uh, and it's funny, before I did my first one, one of our teammates had done hers and she was from Iceland. And I said, oh, if I ever do my ACL, I'll go back to Australia because why would I want to do this rehab away from family, away mm. from home? Uh, and then six weeks later, I did my first ACL and I actually was motivated to come back from it. You know, uh, I saw it as a challenge. I saw it as, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to come back uh, fitter, stronger, smarter. Um, and I was excited about the challenge. It yeah. made me appreciate things that I hated doing. It made me appreciate being able to walk and go to the toilet by myself. Uh, small things that you know, we don't appreciate until we can't do them. Yeah. Uh, same thing with running. I used to hate running and then I couldn't do it for four months and I was so excited when I could run again. Um, but then my senior year, uh, I had injuries pretty much every year that I was over there. So my second year, uh, because I was trying to make up for what I'd lost with my ACL uh, within two months or within probably not two months, probably a month of being back, I then got a stress fracture in my foot Jeez. because I was training so much, trying to, again, make up for 10 and a half months mm. that I was out with my ACL. Uh, so that was my second year. And then my third year, I sprained my ankle to the point where I needed to be in a cast, uh, but then was able to play the majority of my junior season and then uh, did pretty well. And then senior year, I had big hopes and dreams to have a really good senior year. Um was in a relationship uh, for the first time in uh, probably three or four years. So I was excited about that. I uh, just finished an internship, had uh, received captaincy, which I had been wanting for a couple of years. So everything was looking uh, really bright. And then um, sprained my ankle pretty early on, um, but nothing serious. Came back in two weeks' time. And I remember my trainer taping my ankle that morning and saying, oh, you know, no injuries today. Yeah. And I don't know why, but immediately my mind thought, no ACL. Uh, and then 17 minutes into the game and pop went my other ACL. Oh. Uh, and anyone who's done their ACL will know what that pop is. Um, and I immediately at that moment just went numb. Uh, it was yeah. like my brain switched off and said, nope, Nicole, you're not, you can't handle this. Uh, you can't emotionally get through this right now. Uh, so I became apathetic, indifferent. Uh, I was actually quite giddy. So people would probably speak to me and they're like, why does Nicole seem so happy? Mm. Uh, but what, I was feeling internally was I felt nothing. Uh, I was basically dead inside. Um, but I was able to exercise. So I made a decision that I was going to try and play without an ACL, um, which a few people have done. Uh, so I did rehab for about six weeks, was in the gym every single day trying to get strong. Um, and I then started doing some uh, functional movement, but my knee was shifting. So it was like tearing my ACL without the pop, which oh. was uh, pretty, it was traumatic in the sense that, uh, you know, you expect to hear that pop and it doesn't, but your knees literally shifted, uh, which was not an enjoyable experience. Um, was able to play without an ACL, just not obviously how I used to be able to play. Yeah. Uh, but that way I was able to finish college somewhat on my terms. Um but we made it to the grand final, which was in Florida. Uh, it was a, I think, 12 or 13 hour bus drive. We lost in the grand final for the conference championship. And then uh, I think it was 15 hours later, I was under the knife having surgery again. Uh, and so that was a pretty quick turnaround. Um, and it was sort of after surgeries when things started to spiral out of control for me. What were some of the, the things that started happening during that period for you personally? Uh, so I think the biggest thing is that 
you know, there's a lot of research that says that uh, exercise can alleviate depressive symptoms. Mm. But what happens when you can't exercise? What happens when your exercise is your primary form of identity? What happens when your exercise is your coping mechanism? And all of a sudden you can't do all of that. Mm. Uh, to me, then not at risk of things like depression. Uh, and so for me, I went through a drug withdrawal when I couldn't exercise. You know, I wasn't getting the... Um, the endorphin release from exercise. I wasn't getting the oxytocin from uh, my teammates. I wasn't getting the serotonin from feeling valued um, or um, the dopamine from sort of the challenge uh, or the competitive nature of sport. And so you're literally going through a drug withdrawal. Uh, on top of that, you know, my family lived in another country. I hadn't been home for, at this point, I think it was 18 months. And that Christmas, I decided to stay in America because my partner had lost her mum early in that year. And I felt like I needed to be there for her during that time. Um, but I forgot to take into account the fact that I probably needed to look after myself. Yeah. Um, so I was homesick. Um, I was in my final sort of semester of school, so I wasn't being challenged intellectually. Um, I'd reached out to friends, but my friends all seemed to be busy. Uh, and, you know, I said, hey, like, I'm really not doing well. Can we catch up for coffee? And they said, oh, you know, you'll get through this. Uh, you'll be okay. Uh, and then on top of that, because I wasn't getting all any of those needs met from any of my other environments, I then put mm. all of this pressure on my partner to sort of supply that, uh, which is not healthy. And so our relationship became extremely toxic uh, and things sort of escalated uh, a lot. Um, and I found myself uh, institutionalized for New Year's, New Year's at the end of 2014. Um, but even when I was institutionalized, I knew I was like, you know, this is not this is not my rock bottom. Uh, and I was right that rock bottom wouldn't happen until probably six weeks later. Jeez. How, how did you manage to get out of that rock bottom? Um, so rock bottom was, I got to the point where, uh, I literally thought that, um, things couldn't get better and I felt like I had to just end my life. Um, but I fortunately didn't, um, and a few things changed in my environment. So there's a saying that you can't heal in environments that make you sick. Uh, and so one of the things that happened after that point was my partner left me. Um, which was probably one of the best things to happen because then I was forced to get better for myself rather yeah. than for someone else. So it was more of a genuine improvement. I went to therapy twice a week. So I was in group therapy and also individual therapy. Um, I found that group therapy helped probably more than individual therapy because of the connections that I made with other people going through similar things. I also had a cat um, and crazy cat lady. Um, but my cat and animal therapy helped a lot because it's that unconditional yeah. love. You know, every time that I came home from school or whatever it was, uh, my cat was there waiting for me. Um, I changed the environment where I was doing my rehab. So I found that doing rehab in the training room and around the soccer girls was too painful for me because it kept serving as a reminder of everything that I had, but no longer did. Uh, and so I had to then do rehab outside of campus, uh, and change my environment there, made some connections with people there as well uh, and so those things helped and I had two really incredible people in my life who no matter how much I tried to push them away they still stuck around uh, one of those was my professor and one of those was my Norwegian friend at the time so you still keep in touch with both of them at least this uh, right now or? Uh, one of them yes so my Norwegian friend yes yeah. uh, but my professor professor unfortunately not with that situation though it, it is a tough one and it's something that a lot of people 
probably go through. They have similar situations, but not many people get to talk about it um, as much. Not many people know about how to deal with that kind of thing. So if someone was listening and heard that your story can relate to it, what would you recommend to uh, to be able to deal with something like that and prevent it from from uh, for, or noticing the signs and preventing it from getting to rock bottom? I think uh, the biggest thing I've learned, I use the analogy from Inside Out. Not sure if you watched Inside Out, but it's one of my favorite kids' movies. Uh, and if you see Riley at the start of the movie, she only has five pillars to her personality uh, or islands to her personality. You know, there's Goofball Island, there's Honesty Island. Yeah. Um, friendship whatever else uh and what you see is that slowly each one of those islands um she loses connection to them uh and she falls into what you could hypothesize is depression Mm. um but what ends up happening is later on in the movie she ends up building all of these other connections and so with her personality she has you know um boy band island or something like that or um vampire island or something like that and so she's got all of these different pillars to her personality and i guess from my experience i was so dependent on these five areas of my life so i had soccer education friends partner family uh and i lost all of those except for my partner um whereas now if i look at myself like i have a lot more interest in my life you know my friends i don't just have two friends i've got different friendship groups uh so you i can sort of touch base with multiple people at different times depending on what i need um and you know if something happened heaven forbid something happened in soccer you know i've got coaching that i could fall back on or i've got writing i found that when I was really struggling, writing ended up being a massive coping mechanism for me because I was able to express everything that I was feeling without judgment. Uh, and even it was, honestly, I started a document of everything I wish I could say but can't. And I just poured everything out on there and you know have never shared it with anyone, uh, which sometimes that can help, sometimes it can make people feel worse. Uh, but I think it's about finding what works for people individually. Um, but probably the biggest thing is connections to other people or other things. I think sometimes connection is the antidote to a lot of suffering that we experience today. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there because I can relate to some of those with situations I have. So it's incredible to see how you've come out of it. Um, how you feel now looking back on it? Does it make you feel good? Because I know at the beginning, like with something that I've been through, I'll look back on it in the early stages of getting past it. And it was hard to look back on. But now, after a long distance, how's it feel to look back on those times? Uh, I think at the start, I was definitely so angry about mm. a lot that happened to me. And I think any time that we're still angry about something, it's because there's still something that we need to learn, that we're not able to let go of something, that the pain is there to remind us that there are lessons that we're still yet to learn. Yep. Uh, and I think now I would like to think that I'm at peace with things that had happened Uh, I'm using sort of my experiences to help others avoid uh, getting to a similar situation. Uh, And I think so much... Uh, so much of what I went through um, is environment based mm. uh, and so that's why so much of what my focus is, is is not necessarily on the individual but on the environment you know you can sit with an individual and they could be the, uh, the mentally toughest individual that you've ever met in your life but if you put them in a toxic environment I can guarantee you they'll be affected by the toxic environment so instead of focusing on the individual focus on the environment and you don't just help one person you help collective uh, the collective group that's in that environment um but uh, I don't know if that really answered your question. Uh, well, it, it yeah. did answer it, I think, because um, you, you do look back on it on a different different perspective now as yeah. well. 
which is um which is a good thing. So hopefully that can help people. And you're now helping people. You did um some time over there with the helplines and mm-hmm. um working in that. What other things you do now to to help people with, like with mental health and your public speaking? And stuff? Um. So yes, yeah, so after I hit rock bottom, I felt compelled to share my story. Uh, I felt very fortunate that I never went through with uh, ending my life. Uh, And so I felt like I needed to then advocate for people who were struggling in Mm. similar situations. Um, I always wanted to write a book. Um, I'm in the process of writing one, but haven't made much progress at the moment. Um, But I worked as a crisis text line counselor in the States for about eight months, which is sort of like a suicide hotline, but a text line. Um, And in order to become a counselor, you had to go through a six-week training program to become sort of certified, if you will. Uh, And little did I know that that experience would then, I guess, fundamentally shape some of the things that I'm doing now. Um, And in, I think it was probably the end of 2020, uh, I had an idea of um, starting my own sort of business or workshop. Uh, I always thought that I needed to have a platform to have influence, but I think uh, sometimes, you know, you don't need to have a platform. You just start where you are with what you have sort of thing. Uh, So in 2020, I had this idea of starting a mentoring program at Salisbury Inter. And I thought, you know, how amazing would it be if, you know, we could train all of, say, the WNPL girls to have these basic skills where they could mentor a junior girl in the club. Um, And it was less about sort of helping the junior kids and more about equipping adults with basic skills Mm. of how to support others. Uh, And so that's where sort of the idea of um, this workshop that I've designed came from, which is uh, supporting others when they're struggling. So it's two by two hour training modules, which uh, can be modified based on, you know, time constraints and whatever else. Uh, I've done a bit of work at Westminster School, Scotch College, uh, to different age groups uh, where I've tailored sort of the training to the time that we have and the age group. Uh, but sort of the first module is basically equipping individuals with basic skills of, well, how do you support someone who's struggling? You know, um, one of the big things is validate, validate whatever it is that they're feeling, uh, take an active interest, actually ask questions. Uh, and then the second module is more mental sp- health specific so how do you risk assess someone who's suicidal how do you support someone who has an eating disorder um and all those sorts of things um and i think you know we have this idea that i mean if anyone has tried to see a psychologist recently that there's typically a waiting list of say six months Mm. or so uh which isn't really helpful if you're going through something uh you know in this moment and so for, for me the sort of solution to that is you know, we don't need more psychologists. Well, we do, but we also need more doctors. We're always going to need more doctors, more psychologists. But imagine if every single time that you, you know, had a paper cut on your finger, if you had a headache, you had to go see a doctor. Well, you'd never be able to go see a doctor because they'd be inundated Mm. with sort of uh, trivial things that could be treated at home. And I feel like in society, because uh, most people don't know how to support people when they have these uh, sort of general... um, struggles they then get to the point where they're not treated when they're having these struggles which then Mm. ends up having a crisis which then you obviously do need someone like a psychologist uh so to me the solution is equipping everyone with basic skills of supporting others rather than just a few with specific skills do you think that will help with coaches specifically um having those skills and helping juniors that are going through different things at different times yeah definitely i think uh you know coaches teachers uh, people in those positions have a, uh, a massive platform for influence in the sense that sometimes as a kid, you don't necessarily want to mm. talk to your parents, you know, and it's just, 
I think a lot of people can probably relate to it. It's got nothing to do with our parents, but sometimes it's just you don't want to talk to them. Uh, and that's where the opportunity for a coach to have that significant influence, to have those conversations. Uh, and it's about, well, how do you have those conversations? When someone tells you something quite significant, uh, how you respond is so important. Yeah. Uh, and I think most people don't ask the questions because they're afraid of what the answer might be. Mm. They don't feel like they have the skills, uh, which to me, it's a simple solution. Equip them with skills uh, to have those sort of difficult conversations or even just equipping them with skills to be human and saying, hey, wow, you know, uh, I kind of can't imagine how difficult it is to be going through whatever it is right now. But um, I, you know, I really don't know what to say, but I just know that that would be really tough. Mm. Uh, and so it's acknowledging, hey, I'm human. I don't have answers for you, but yeah, wow, I have empathy for you that this situation is difficult yeah it's um do you think it's going to be get to a point where we may have more of this in the future i think so yes i think you know in 10 years time and you're already seeing it with schools that you know they've got uh well-being sectors within schools mm. and i think you know in 10 years time things like this will probably be commonplace uh it's obviously that oh, it's obvious that at the moment it's not there isn't the funding for it but i think uh you know in years to come this will be something that'll be standard yeah. uh, and sort of my vision after being a crisis text line counselor when I did the six week training program was imagine if this could be part of a school curriculum, mm. you know, imagine if every single student could be equipped with these basic skills, you know, imagine if every single kid or adult uh, was taught how to resolve conflict, you know, these basic skills that humans sort of lack. Imagine if we actually had specific training for that. Yeah. Uh, and what better way that, to do that than in school? Well, let's talk, you're now talking about your, you do coaching at Inter, but before you got there, you left Kennesaw State University um, in the US, came back to Australia. What was the, re the reasoning behind that? Was it to try and, did you want to move back to family or trying to, to get into a professional career, hopefully? Yeah, so I, after six years in the US, I, um, after my second ACL, I thought, you know, I'll never play soccer again, mm -hmm. uh, but I was 21 at the time and uh, because I, it was my senior year in college, there wasn't that need for me to come back, so to speak. I had nothing to come back for. Uh, and so my rehab took a lot longer than my first one where, you know, I had three years left of playing. Mm. Um, but, you know, I got into coaching when I was in America and I just felt like I wasn't done playing. You know, coaching just didn't satiate that playing or that feeling of playing um, in that way. Uh, and so... I made a decision, I think in probably 2017, that I wanted to try and play professionally again. Uh, so at the start of 2017, made the decision to move back to Australia, uh, wanted to try and play Adelaide United, which is something that I had wanted to do since I was a kid. Uh, but things just never aligned for me as a kid, um, always seemed to miss out. Uh, and then the year that I moved to America is when they promoted younger players um, and things, sometimes just things don't align for you. Mm. Um, and so in 2017 was a train on for United uh, and then, yeah, moved to Metro United in 2018, uh, was there for a year and then have been at Salisbury since. How do you feel about the move coming back to Australia? Did, was it um, the perfect timing for, for yourself? I think so. I think I, I was very angry after my collegiate years. I was very unhappy with my time in college. Um, I felt like I was trying to sort of change the environment but couldn't. Mm. Uh, and it took me four years to realize that you can't change something that people don't see is broken. Uh, and so when it took me 
we were in our final, I think, team meeting and we were talking about values and my team described themselves as being committed and hardworking uh, and all of these things and a family. And I thought, what? Like, you guys are not committed. Um, in my mind, commitment was, well, what are you doing outside of soccer? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? What are you doing for recovery? Uh, whereas for them, commitment was showing up to practice every day. So their commitment was doing the bare minimum. And so in their mind, they were committed. In their mind, they were hardworking. But for me, that's not what commitment mm. was. And so there was a bit of a an incompatibility with the environment. Uh, and that's sort of a massive lesson that I've learned, uh, you know, even in workplaces that you can't change something unless people see that there's something wrong with it. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the environment or there's anything wrong with you. It's just that your values don't align. Uh, and I think, you know, it took me four years and a lot of frustration to realize that. Um, but it sort of helped me uh, make decisions in workplaces coming back. Well, now you found yourself, you're in, uh, playing at Salisbury Inter, here in the WNPL, your time there, you've played against, uh, played with some incredible footballers, including uh, Cotter as well. She's an incredible footballer. We're lucky to have her in the WNPL. Hopefully she comes back um, to the league at some point. But what was it like playing with players like that in the, in the local leagues? It's pretty incredible. And I think sometimes you, again, you take it for granted. And mm. it's not until, you know, you see Cote representing Chile in the national stage and you're like... Yeah, wow. Like she's been my teammate for the past couple of years. Like that's pretty insane. Mm. We have been very fortunate to have her in the WNPL, not just with what she can do on the field, but sort of the professionalism that she brings off the field too. You know, she, uh, she raises the standard of trainings and everything because of how, you know, her expectations of others uh, and her aspirations to play at the next level. The And that period that you were there, you're still there now, but a couple of years ago, you were the treble winners under Simon Cadenzaro. What was that year like to, to, to be able to achieve something like that? Uh, I've never really... Winning things has never been something that's been a goal of mine. Uh, I've always wanted to enjoy playing with teammates, uh, but I'm not going to lie and say that it wasn't mm. satisfying to win. Yeah. Uh, you know, we went from not winning anything to then winning everything in one year, uh, which was pretty unreal and it was a dreamlike experience. Uh, it wasn't without its challenges. You know, it wasn't a breezy run by any means uh and west adelaide definitely gave us a run for our money in the grand final um but i think uh some of simon's coaching principles was really the uh the uh key factor in us getting over the line in the grand final particularly what was it like having him as a coach was he um a great coach he was uh so he some of the things that he was really good at was you know he managed everyone's loads really well. And so he was aware that he had experienced players and he had younger players. The experienced players sometimes need to miss a training or two. Uh, and, you know, he was really good at that, really good at checking in on players. Uh, and I think his principles in that um, treble winning year were incredible and the reason that we won, you know. Um, and they're principles that I've stolen and I've used in my 17s and my 15s when I coached them uh, in 2021 as well, uh, just because they make sense. Um, and it's all about sort of effort and hard work, things that are always within your control, which, uh, you know, I'm a big sort of promoter of, uh, you can't always control whether or not you make a mistake, but you can always control how you recover from it. The, now your new coach is Tony Scousey. Um, you're, you're into your new season under him. How are you feeling, um, with the new coach and having him at the club? I think it's exciting. I think, uh, as I get older, I'm looking at, what I can learn from coaches from both a playing and coaching perspective. 
and so I was excited to have Tony on board uh, just to learn from another experienced coach. Mm. Uh, has obviously a very different coaching style than coaches that I've had in the past, as everyone does. You know, everyone is very unique in the way that they coach. Um, but I really like the style of football that he's wanting us to play. Uh, I really like his approach towards the girls, uh, and I'm excited for this year um, because of that. Your co-captain um, alongside Chantel Ryder. Um, well, I've spoken to you in another episode in the preview to the WNPL, um, but you mentioned about she's your twin. Uh, what What's that connection like with um, with her as co-captains? Uh I don't even know. We, everyone seems to get us confused, which to be honest, it kind of is confusing on the field because we have, uh, you know, similar height, similar hair, similar structure. We play, uh, I think a similar brand of football too. Um, and so I totally understand why people will get us confused on the field, uh, especially commentating. Like I apologize to everyone. I've, <laughs> I've tried to cut my hair, but then when I cut my hair, Chance cuts her hair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, it's so nice having a leader who compliments you. Uh, and I think I have ha- never had someone um, that I've led with who sort of balances me out uh, in a lot of things. Um, and I think that, you know, to, for us playing as centre-backs together, um, what better combination do you want sort mm. of thing? Um, but, yeah, it's it's a privilege to be able to play alongside her. Does everyone feed off that connection you two have? I would say so, yes. Like there were a couple of games last year where Chance was playing up front, uh, and if we went, um, you know, if we went up in the game, then Chance was dropped back to centre back, and it just you could see the rest of the team sort of settled, and they became, mm. uh, you know, a lot calmer because there is that sort of understanding between each other that you know any time that I go, then Chance has me covered, and and vice versa. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of coaches say that uh, they don't like coming up against us, uh, which is, you know, a compliment to sort of the relationship that we have on the field and off the field too. You only got probably a few more years in yourself for career-wise, do you believe? Or you reckon you've got a, long, a longer period? Uh, no, probably only a few more years. My body is taking a few, a bit longer to recover than I would hope. Um, but we'll see. Well, you're now you're coaching. Um, you mentioned it earlier that you're coaching um, junior girls now at Inter as well. While you're there, is that where you want to head to? We've only got a couple of um, female coaches in the league at the moment. Treble winning coach at um, West Adelaide, um, Tracy Jenkins, and also Tian, the first women's coach at Adelaide City. Um, she's in her first season. Are you looking towards heading in that direction? Uh, potentially, yes. I. I definitely think that I need a few more years experience probably coaching juniors. Um, and I've also questioned my motivation towards coaching seniors. Uh, I asked this question um, a few, probably a few weeks ago of what, what motivates someone to coach seniors over juniors. Mm. Uh, and I really enjoy being able to impact players. Uh, I actually, my favorite age group to coach is that 14, 15 age group because, you know, it's, it's an awkward time. You know, kids are going through puberty. It's really uncomfortable. They're looking for that role model. Uh, and I really think that uh, when you take an interest in these kids' lives, like it can be, it can be life-changing for mm. them. Uh, and so I actually really enjoy coaching juniors for that perspective. Uh, and I don't know whether I'm that interested in coaching at the senior level I say that now and I will you know we'll probably be coaching in a couple of years time but um you know I'm enjoying 
coaching this age group. Uh, I struggle coaching younger kids just because they want to have fun, which is totally fine. You know, I was a kid too and you just want to play, but uh, I really enjoy having an influence Mm. and hopefully a positive one on these kids. Well, it looks like you you will be and hopefully we'll see um, you coaching in the future at some at some point or some or somewhere there's um i'm sure there's many opportunities hopefully out there and and, and to come with the women's world cup here now we never know what's going to happen with women's football in the in the future as well yes very true and maybe i'll be coaching the kids that i'm coaching now at the premier league level in a couple of years time who knows you never know hopefully um then you can follow them all the way up there you yes. go the um it's been a pleasure chatting with you um nicole i've really enjoyed your story and Hearing the real side of footballers as well, I've shared a lot of these stories with footballers that have gone through tough moments and I think, and I've seen this in my personal life as well, that you go through certain stages in in your career or work life or even home life and you feel like you're alone, but there's people out there, because you don't see the stories out there of um, someone going through the exact same, you see them at their peak Mm -hmm. of their career and you're in your career and you think you're struggling, but you don't realise they went through exactly the same or maybe worse Mm -hmm. um, to get through. So... Being able to share yours, hopefully it helps someone else um, that's gone through ACL, maybe not as bad as you, but in a similar situation and, and maybe able to help to for them to deal with it a bit better, hopefully. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head there that what we see when it comes to athletes is, you know, we see the success stories mm. that we don't, you know, how often do you hear about the people that never made it? You know, when was the last time that you read a book about someone who wanted to play at the top level and, and didn't make it? I mean, it probably wouldn't sell, would it? Mm. Um, but I think that that sometimes is a lot more relatable to people that how many people, you know, had a dream job and they never ended up in their dream job, but they're doing something else that they really enjoy. Uh, and I think, you know, that's part of life is very rarely do things go according to plan and you have to be able to adapt. Uh, and it's, figuring out who you are when that primary sense of identity so your sport well when that's taken away Mm. from you who are you then uh what can you still contribute even when you're not able to do the thing that you really thought you were able to do um and i think you know we spoke about this before how technology probably has a lot to answer for in that regards that we hear or we see the success stories on Mm. instagram and whatever else and you don't see you don't see the the days when people want to quit you know the amount of times that i've wanted to quit in my career and 2018 after I got cut from United I was done I was ready to quit Uh, and it wasn't until Tracy Jenkins uh, called me up and she said Nicole I'm just touching base to see you know how you are and whether you're thinking about doing anything stupid like quitting soccer altogether and I just started bawling my eyes out because I was like yeah I do want to quit you know Um, I've wanted to play at this uh, elite level for most of my life and I still can't achieve that goal Uh, And, you know, we want to believe that if you work hard, uh, you can achieve anything that you want in life. Uh, But sometimes things just don't align for you. You know, Um, there's an analogy that I give kids in some of the talks is um, there's this peach, right? There's a peach analogy that uh, you could be the juiciest, the sweetest peach in the whole entire world. And they're going to people, they're, there will be people who are allergic to peaches or there will be people who are just don't like peaches. And that has nothing to do with you or anything that you offer that sometimes you're just not compatible for an environment. Mm. Uh, and I think trying to find an environment where you are valued, where you are appreciated, uh, I think that is probably the most important thing for, you know, things like your mental health uh, yeah. and feeling um, okay uh, in life. I think one thing I found that's good is not just having that one goal that if you can't make it, you get disappointed. Set multiple goals. And I think if you have things, little ones here and there, that helps as well. Keeps you motivated, keeps you going. Definitely. And I think 
sometimes the pain or the disappointment is there to help you mm. later in life that you don't even know. Uh, you know, even with, I think about how many injuries I've been through and as frustrating and as devastating as they are, I can now help kids that I'm coaching with their rehab because I've had so much experience with it that I'm, you know, can say, hey, look, you're not just jumping straight back into training. You have to do rehab before mm. you can actually train. And I think, well, I wouldn't have known this knowledge unless I went through what I did. Uh, and, you know, even checking in on teammates and with their ACLs and checking in on how they are, not how's your knee, uh, which is a common question that people get asked is, oh, how's your knee doing? Like, oh, yeah, like the knee's fine, but ask me how I'm doing because yeah. I'm really struggling, you know. Uh, and I think sometimes people forget that. They forget to treat the human uh, part first and they focus more on the injury. Hmm. Well, you put that well and um, I really enjoyed getting the insight to all this. It's um, It's been intriguing. I hope everyone else has enjoyed it as well. But um, the got to end it off with the kicking it questions. Questions I ask all my guests um, and it's a light way to end it. And I, I've noticed... Um, I noticed it might be you might have already thought about it. I don't know. Um, no, you haven't. That's good. That makes it even better. So let's uh, let's get straight into More it. More authentic that way, right? <laughs> That's it. Right on the spot. Um, so the first one is uh, which footballer would you love to kick it with on the park? Anyone in the world, if you had the chance. We've done it with Sam Kerr already, so it's a bit hard. Yeah, that is true. Maybe Sam Kerr now might be a little bit different to Sam Kerr back then. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to influence. I don't want to influence your decision. Uh, decision that one. <laughs> I would say. I actually really like the way that Miedema plays, to be honest. Um, but she also has just done her ACL at the moment. Uh, and I think the fact that she's Dutch, uh, my Oma was Dutch, mm. or is Dutch, sorry. Uh, and so there's that Dutch sort of association where I think that she would just be an awesome forward or attacking midfielder to play alongside. So um, so that's your, your choice for... Yep. Yep, beautiful. And um, what about name two people? Someone internationally, someone locally that you would love to kick it with on a Saturday night watching football... Have a few drinks if you're, oh, well, you're not a big drinker, but yeah. just a couple <laughs> of coffees. There you go. Um, not soccer related at all, but Doesn't I have, have oh, actually, I've always wanted to meet, there's two people internationally that I've wanted to meet, uh, Simon Sinek and Johan Hari. Okay. Um, two people that have significantly influenced my life that I would love to sit down and have a coffee with, not a beer mm. or a drink or anything, but um and I've also really wanted to meet Emma Watson uh, for no other reason than I just think that she would be an incredible human being. Um, and then in Australia, I uh, don't know, to be honest. Um, you can choose Chantel if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My twin, yeah. All right, let's say Chance. <laughs> All right, that'll be fun. Um, well, there you go. Thank you so much for for sharing uh, your story once again. And um, it's been a pleasure to, to hear it. And uh, it's very inspiring to see where you've gotten to. And hopefully um, you can help the uh, the future generation with kids uh, uh, through your coaching well thank you very much for having me and thank you very much for putting on this incredible show if you're interested in learning more about nicole's training or public speaking services make sure you head to nicolecalder.com forward slash services that was salisbury inters nicole calder make sure you subscribe to kicking it local wherever you get your podcast so you can get a taste of the sa football community Plus, follow at Kicking It Local SA on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of the action. See you soon.